Um, over the last few weeks at school, for those of you that don't know, I'm a, I'm a history teacher. Um, so I've been delivering a number of lessons focusing on remembrance um, as part of uh, our way as a school to mark the centenary of the end of the First World War. And, and I'm sure many of you have also had the young people in your lives come home and tell you about the things that they've been told at school. Or you yourselves have watched some of the amazing um, TV shows that have been on. Um, or you have some craft um, on your fridge that someone has brought home as a representation of a poppy. Um, this is Joel's version of a poppy. Joel is 18 months, so even at nursery we were focusing on remembrance. Um, but the route that I chose to take with my students was to focus on the gratitude um, that we perhaps could show those that served for us. And I didn't want to get into any debates with my students about whether war is right or wrong, um, but to focus on the sacrifice that those soldiers had made and encouraging students to think about how they would thank those soldiers if they could in any way. And as part of the lessons, we looked at this image and I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, but it's the coffin of the unknown soldier. And as part of the lesson, the students were given the task to write thank you cards that if they could in some way give to him or members of his family. Most of the students focused on the loss of people and um, how they were sorry that their families experienced this loss, which can be understood. Most of us focus on perhaps the loss. But one of my year eight students um, put this on their thank you card. Thank you for showing me how to be brave when I face difficult things. Out of all of the student messages that I read over the last weeks, this one has stuck with me. Now, and I originally thought that I would use perhaps my knowledge of the First World War as a history teacher and the fact that this weekend, actually yesterday to be more precise, is the 100th anniversary of the Thanksgiving services led by the Archbishop of Canterbury and York um, in Westminster Abbey at the end of the war to put together a talk on Thanksgiving or gratitude, um, which have led, would have led really nicely into the fact that next week is the Thanksgiving service. Um, but because of this one student's comments, I really felt God speaking to me that many of us actually need some kind of encouragement to be brave in our difficulties and that we need some examples to look towards, much like this student was looking at the soldier. So today's talk is entitled, How Can We Have Courage and Overcome Our Obstacles? And we're mainly going to focus on Joshua 6. <clears throat> so... We all have moments in our life where we feel completely overwhelmed and facing difficulties. Some of us, that's deep-rooted anxieties um, that may be caused by ongoing difficulties, whilst others of us, it's kind of a passing moment, depending on the situation that we're in. But in all of these situations, God can be the source of our courage to overcome. And we can really see this clearly in the story of Joshua. So just a little bit of background. The book of Joshua describes the conquest and possession of the land of Canaan. And it might be divided into three really simple divisions. One, invasion and entrance. Two, conquest. And three, possession or division of the land. Now this is the land that God had promised them. It had been promised to them through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The book of Joshua is a fulfillment of this promise. And chapter 6 is actually the story of Jericho. So in the middle of this promise, in the middle of this taking of the promise, God has already encouraged Joshua to be courageous and lead 
the people to the promised land, but this is their first obstacle. The people of God have to decide whether they would continue the journey to where God wanted them to be, or would they move into a place of retreat or safety? Now, each of us in our own way face these kind of questions in our spiritual walk. God does not place us on this planet without a purpose. He has a divine design for each of us, a plan. But as we seek to follow this direction, difficulties confront each of us. Joshua teaches us how to overcome these obstacles and to, that might keep us from following the will of God. So, let's remind ourselves of the story, because I'm sure many of us know it quite well, but in case we're not sure, in the only way a good history teacher knows how. A video. The Faithful Hall of Fame, Joshua. This is Joshua. Oh, hey. Joshua was the leader of the Israelites, who God used to bring his people to the promised land. Yeah, let's do it. When God told Joshua it was time to take the promised land, Joshua sent spies into the city of Jericho. While those spies were in Jericho, Come on. they were protected by a woman named Rahab. The spies promised to spare Rahab and her family when they took back the land. Yay! And she hung a scarlet cord from her window to remind them of their promise. See you soon! Now the Israelites had crossed the Jordan and were camped near the town of Jericho. Hey! One day, Joshua looked up. Huh? and there was a man standing before him. Hello. The man said, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua asked what the man wanted to tell him, and the Lord said he wanted Joshua to take the city of Jericho, All right. but that Joshua needed to follow his instructions exactly. You got it. Jericho was shut for fear of the Israelites. And went home? No one came out and no one came in. So the Lord told Joshua to gather his soldiers. And march around the city for six days. The priests were to take the Ark of the Covenant and seven priests were to go in front of it, blowing a ram's horn. On the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times and blow the horn. Then all the people of Israel were to give a great shout. Then what? And then the city walls would fall. Oh, yeah, let's do it. So Joshua said, shout for the Lord has given you the city. And the people did shout. Yeah! And the walls did fall. The Israelites overtook the city of Jericho as God had commanded. Rahab! They remembered Rahab because of her faithfulness. Joshua was faithful in carrying out God's commands, and the Israelites took many other cities as God told them they would. Oh, nice. For God will never fail to fulfill his promises.
So the Israelites came to live in the land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, Israel, Joseph, and Moses many years ago. There you go. That was way more fun than me reading it to you. Um, so what can we learn from this part of the story? I think it highlights three ways we can overcome our difficulties with the help of God. The, v the first of these things is from verses 1 to 2. And we can learn that we overcome obstacles through communication. Now verses 1 and 2 tell us, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now these verses highlight the major problems facing the Israelites. Jericho. And to humanize, it definitely was a firm barrier. However, verse 2 also shows us the key to overcoming this barrier. Then the Lord said to Joshua. Joshua had a God who communicated with him, who was involved in his life and provided guidance. Now, I am a person that when I get frustrated, I bottle it up and I try to walk away, taking my anger with me, especially when dealing with things at work. I try and find my own way through things. I don't want to burden other people or to add to their workload. After I'm through these moments, it's, an ob it's obvious how this is not a good way for me to respond, as it makes me short-tempered with people, bitter about their seemingly easy day, and it has a physical impact, as the stress often causes my eczema to flare up and has at times become its own overwhelming problem. For some of us, our problems are a lot worse than frustration at work, but we seem to choose the same response. Keep it bottled up. We don't want to burden God or we try to hide it from him. But if we do this, we miss the beauty found in verse 2. God talking back to us, guiding us. By talking to God, we are telling him that we trust him. It doesn't mean that you have to pretend like everything is suddenly okay. Or that, but that you need to help in your current unbelief or difficulties. And this is described in Mark 9:24, when a father brings his possessed child to Jesus. He doesn't have the knowledge or the faith to understand how Jesus is going to help, but he knew that sharing it with Jesus would do something. In other situations, it's the repeated hard conversations with God that eventually bring the breakthrough to the intimacy and help that we so desperately need. Don't load yourself with the extra burden of being okay. Lay that weight aside and look to Jesus as he guides us to in Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3. Be honest with God. He can handle it, and he cares for you. In addition to opening up with God and allowing God to communicate back to us, let's be honest and compassionate to each other. Let's be quick to sit with people and cry with people, as we're instructed to in Romans 12, 15. And be eager to bear one another's burdens together, as Galatians 2, uh, 6, verse 2 says. One of the surprising ways that God throughout the Bible comforts his people is through the comfort of other believers who have also struggled and can um, relate. By being open in communications with other people, we can often hear the voice of God with far more clarity and as a result have the assurance to act upon it. 
So we overcome obstacles through communication with God and others. And secondly, verses 6 to 7 show us we can defeat difficulties through compliance. Joshua 6 to 7 says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of you, ahead of the Ark of the Lord. In the face of such a great physical obstacle, Joshua complied with God's plan. Though he may not have completely understood the plan or its significance, he followed God. Joshua moved the people to action. God could only use a man like Joshua because he was a man of faith and a man of obedience. He simply followed as God instructed. Later on, he talks about God instructing the people of Israel to carry trumpets with the Ark of the Lord for six days, and they were not to speak, uh, verses 8 and 10. On the seventh day, they were allowed to follow this routine sorry, with one addition. They were to shout in glory to God because the city had been delivered to them. That's verse 16. What an act of faith for Joshua and the people to march around the city. No previous, and shall I dare say subsequent, battle had ever been won in such a manner. Yet around the city they marched. It was an act of faith and an act of obedience. Their obedience to God produced wonders. We read of no negative spirit, discouragement or disbelief. As they marched circle after circle around the city, I'm sure they could see the seeming impossibility of the situation. Yet they walked. Obedience was their key. Compliance was the key to the moving of God's mighty hand in their life. Many of us today pride themselves on living within reason. But God has called his people to be a people to live by faith. We are to walk with faith and obedience uh, to his direction and leadership in our lives. But many of us struggle with this even when we've heard the command of God. And it's often because we don't know why God has told us to do such a thing. Such as, why would we walk around a city to hope that the walls fall down? Many Christians are of the view that the Christian life is motivated by gratitude, not reward. We are obedient because we are thankful, not because we are going to gain anything. But this is so much harder when you're facing times of difficulty and your sense of gratitude might be clouded by the big obstacle in front of you. If gratitude alone is the basis of our faith, then we will take the view that rewards are not supposed to motivate us or they're not important. So we ignore them. Even um, when we read the Bible and people share with us words of encouragement about the promises of God. But over and over and over again, God does motivate us with rewards. So they must be important. God knows that we will face times of difficulty when we will need encouragement to be obedient. And perhaps relying on our own gratitude might not be enough. This makes some people nervous as they're afraid of that health and wealth gospel. That by following God's commands, it equals an easy life. But this is not the reward of obedience that I'm talking about. Jesus motivates us to be obedient with the reward of himself. In John 14, verse 23, it says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make a home with him. When God calls us to be compliant, he's calling us to a deeper relationship. So when we communicate with God and other people, we hear God's guidance and commands to overcome the obstacles. Then we need to act on those commands and be compliant to God's plan. But all of this takes confidence and faith. 
Impossibilities become possibilities through confidence. Joshua 6, uh, verses 20 and 21 says, When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with every, uh, the sword everyone living in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. If we think about this story, it was uncommon sense to believe that the walls would fall down with this bizarre strategy from God. And yet they did. We are clearly called to a deep and personal relationship with God, as it's echoed throughout scripture. But sometimes, for me personally, I think because of making this relationship with God, I reduce God to a close personal friend. And sometimes I miss the power of who God is. So when I hear a command, I don't make the connection that it's an all-powerful God calling me. The omnipotence of God means eternal, unshakable refuge in the everlasting glory of God, no matter what happens on this earth. By understanding who God is with all his power and authority, it gives us confidence and boldness. That confidence is the source and power of radical obedience to the call of God. If we believe this, if we really let the truth of who God is, his omnipotence, get hold of us, what a difference it would make in all our personal lives and our ministries. How humble and powerful we would become for the saving purposes of God. All of a sudden, the impossible seems possible. Even if we don't get to be the ones that see it, we have the faith that God can do more than we can ask or imagine, as it says in Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now, I don't want to appear to be belittling people's faith, especially those of us in the room who are faced with huge burdens and might feel dwarfed by the struggles. But I want to encourage you in the power of prayer and testimony, that you have a God who is listening and a God who can act. I'm sure many of you will agree that hearing someone else's story of faith and the way God has moved with great power in their lives encourages you to keep holding on to God. They remind us of the reward, a deeper, more intimate relationship with an all-powerful God. To help us with this, I'd like to go full circle um, and finish with a testimony uh, from the First World War. It's quite long, so hopefully you can pay attention as we read. Um, But hopefully it encourages you that in the midst of tragedy, we have a faithful God. Now, the image um, on the screen is um, the man in the picture is a man called George Vinnell. Um, and the letters that are around are his artefacts. Um, they've been given to the Imperial War Museum as part of celebrations of the centenary. So this is his story. George Vinnell served as a bombardier in the Royal Artillery. He carried a Bible in his pocket, which gave him spiritual comfort even in the hard times during the war. It also saved his life. On the 17th of July, 1915, he wrote home to his mum and dad, sending the pocket Bible, as you can see here, with his letter. The Bible had a hole in it made by a piece of shrapnel. George came into his sleeping compartment and took off his tunic at about midday when he heard a shell flying in close. It exploded and threw bits of metal around the compartment. One went straight into his tunic But because the Bible was in the pocket, it didn't get through to where he was sleeping. George threw himself to the floor while another shell exploded on the compartment and then ran for protection into the trench. He wrote, as soon as we heard the next shell coming, I flattened myself in the bottom, not caring about the dirt until it was over. 
When he got back to the sleeping compartment, there were 10 men dead. As well as the shells, four bullets had come in. George felt hugely fortunate because one had hit his pillow, one had hit the floor where he'd been lying just a moment earlier. Then he picked up his tunic and found the shrapnel aimed at his heart, but had been stopped by his Bible. He reminded his mum and dad of his last letter, where he'd written that he felt, quote, safe in the hands of God. And he had also written, here I am, without a scratch, safe and well. The shrapnel had gone through the whole of the Old Testament, and at the point at which it stopped was Isaiah 49, verse 8. George read the verse into, wrote the verse sorry, into his letter, which said, When the time comes to save you, I will show you favour and answer your cries for help. I will guard and protect you. Now, obviously, there were hundreds of other uh, Christians involved in the First World War who don't have such a powerful testimony. But I find the beauty of this story in this soldier's belief that God has rescued him a man who truly understood and experienced the horror of the First World War and continued to fight until the end of the war and at no point lost his faith in a faithful God. So for us to end, um, I'd like to pray before Austin comes up and we perhaps focus more on ourselves um, and how we can perhaps deal with our relationship with God. But I'd like us to pray using um, one of the prayers said at the Thanksgiving service I mentioned before on the 17th of November 1918, as I feel some of those words are still relevant for us today, for our hurting world and the many obstacles that it still faces. So shall we stand? Let us remember before God the solemn responsibility now resting upon the statesmen of the world and pray that he may guide them by his spirit of counsel and of strength and that by their endeavours, peace and justice, freedom and order may be established among all nations. Almighty God, who can bring good out of evil and makes even the rage of man turn to your praise, we ask you to order and dispose the issues of war that we may be brought through the strife to a lasting peace, and that the nations of the world may be united in a firmer fellowship for the promotion of your glory and the good of all mankind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.